This is the Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today, I've got Brian Owen on the podcast. Brian is the pastor and planter of Grace City Church in Boston, Massachusetts. I met Brian this summer. He was speaking at Fuge Camps and uh, really enjoyed getting to know him. But as a part of that uh, that Fuge Camp, I, I heard him speak about uh, Genesis 3 and preach in a way that I had never considered that passage. So I've asked Brian to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about uh, how Genesis 3 impacts us and what, where we can consider exactly how we we interact with the Scripture at that point. Um, but uh, Brian, Owen, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Looking forward awesome. to it. Good deal. Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you have a wife, some kids, a house. What's up? Yeah, yep. So uh, I do. I have uh, one wife, Katie, which is always uh, good if you're a pastor to have one wife. Um, and then I have uh, a 11 year old daughter named Claire, who uh, is going on 15. And then I have a five year old little boy named Judson. So uh, it's, a, it's a we're a busy little household uh, here. Yeah, and we we I pastor a church called Grace City Church here in downtown Boston. Uh, we moved to Boston in 2018 from the Nashville area. So we've been here uh, about five and a half years. And, uh, you know, our church planted about six months before COVID. So it's all went exactly as planned. But uh, it's been the last few years have been really fruitful, really good. And uh, we really just love being here in the city. So 11 going on 15. You want to you <laughs> yeah, expound on that yeah. a little bit? I, I don't even know what's going on. I, I grew up with an older brother. So <laughs> uh, having a little girl in the house is is just a whole new thing for me. So oh. I'm, I'm trying to be as, you know involved as a good dad as I can, while at the same time leaning heavily into my wife's wisdom. So uh, I want to warn you, there's, there's actually a good number of teenage girls that listen to this podcast. So they're, they're going to they're gonna scour the internet to determine who your daughter is and try their best to put this in her hands. So She's awesome. She's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> she, what I meant she, to say was... She's passionate. Passionate. I, I, uh, yeah, she pushes me to be more creative and more passionate myself. Passionate or compassionate? <laughs> Uh, yes, yes that's yes. right. <laughs> Good deal. So, um, so the church you, you launched in 2019, uh, like summer 2019. Yeah. Yeah. August, August of 2019 is when perfect was our timing. Official, yeah. Yeah, perfect time was our official launch date. And, uh, so we had about six months under our belt before COVID hit. So Boston, you know, I think it was like the third hardest hit city with COVID. So they, they shut the whole city down. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. It was a really tough season. I mean, it was tough for everyone. And, uh, so we, we, but we survived, uh, by God's kindness, by his grace. And, uh, the last two years have been really, really good. The city's come back alive. Um, people are back in the city and it's just been a really wonderful season. Well, the good thing is you have those really mild winters in Boston. So, I mean, <laughs> like it was no big deal, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know it's so cold. No one's going out, anyways. So you don't have to tell us to stay away from just, one another. Just real quick, I mean, I'm, we're, we're in South Carolina. I'm in South Carolina. You're in, what's the temperature up there today? Uh, it's about seventy-eight, I think, today. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's, it's great. Like 108, man. It's 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 like I I just can't wait for fall to get here. Yeah, every, every night I look at my wife and I say, Is it gonna be fall tomorrow? And uh <laughs> um and yeah. I start that about August the first. I I I resist doing it in July, but about August the first. The other day she looked at me, she said, Shut up, don't ask me that again. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I said, Honey, I'm tired too. It's hot. I'm hot. It, it, it rarely gets in the nineties and we have no mosquitoes. And I'm pretty sure we don't have poisonous snakes. So we're doing pretty well. It rarely gets in the nineties here in the dark. Um, yeah, that's, but, that's right. Yeah. But uh, and, I mean, the humidity rarely gets to 90%. I mean, it, it gets close, but it's brutal. I listen, it's the, the temperature. I'm from the Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia area. <clears throat> the temperature down there is brutal. I'm, I'm every time I get down there, I've, I've forgotten in the summertime what it's like. Yeah, but do you miss do you, do you, do you miss those mild southern winters? I miss uh, Waffle House and Cracker Barrel. Preach. That, that, Preach. That's yeah. that's what I miss. It's carbs. You miss carbs. I miss the carbs. You can't yeah. get you can't get quite those dishes up here. Really? I mean, you can make your own biscuits though. Yeah, but there's the 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 Cracker Barrel biscuits are are pretty. They're legit. They're legit. And we don't we don't have a Waffle House. Gosh, we have Cracker Barrels kind of outside the city. We can drive. You know. Yeah. Um, and and get to them, a Waffle House is I think Virginia is the last. No place. way, no way. I'm, I'm googling this. I'm, I'm I'm pulling this up on my maps right now. I, I want to know where the Waffle North. House in Boston. Um, so I mean, so in in the South, you know, that's FEMA uses Waffle House to know to know you know how bad a uh, um, a uh, a disaster is. I mean, how do they know in Boston? Is that is that a legitimate statement? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you've got you've got, you know, because Waffle House is always open, right? If Waffle right. House is closed, we know we're in a really bad spot. Right. Yep. So uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't know. I I think I'm. It's. I feel like it's Virginia. We've looked. We've driven wow. up the coast, and we've we've thought. Okay, what's the what's the furthest? You know, what's Waffle House is closest to us? I. It's not. It's not a drivable. Situation. Is Huddle House still a thing? I don't know. I don't know. We have we have a couple. We have an IHOP, um, but I don't know. No, it's not the same. Uh, I don't know if we have a. I don't know if Huddle House. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. I don't know. There was one here for a while. It closed down. All right. All right. Here we go. We need to. Uh, uh, we need to get get started on things that actually matter and not the Waffle House. So I mean, Waffle House matters for those of you who are, who are interested. I mean, Waffle House absolutely matters, but. Um, but, uh, um, I'm just, oh, wow. Wow. This is bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's none. It's It's Pennsylvania. There are 10 in Pennsylvania. There's a map. There's a map that I can send you of how many waffle houses are in every state. You don't have any, you you can get to Pennsylvania and you can get, there's 10 of them there. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a, Greg, it's a pretty dark place here. (laughs) After a certain time, there's no 24 hour waffle house up here. I, got, I, I knew it was tough, but I just didn't realize. I mean, you, you, we talk about the, the darkness of of Boston. Generally, I'm just thinking about the spiritual darkness, and I, I didn't realize that there was that the, there was no yellow light in the distance. Yeah, I don't, we, would, we probably wouldn't have signed up for this work if we'd have known it. So I think in our I think in our uh, ignorance, uh, uh, God yeah. used it. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, um, so I asked you on here for one specific reason. It had absolutely nothing to do with Waffle House, but. So you, um, I, I accompany our, our teenagers to Infuge every single summer. 
and you were the camp pastor at uh, North Greenville University when when we were there this this July. You preached one message out of Genesis three, and um, in that passage of scripture, man, I just thought you did an exceptional job of walking through the lies that Satan gives. You know the the ways that we chip away at at sort of our our belief in God, chip away at, at God's holiness, and and our, our trust there. And then ultimately, we just we just man, we just sell the farm in our sin. But then you spoke about God's grace, grace and kindness in covering Adam and Eve's sin and how we see that. So um, can you kind of give a, a brief overview of of what it looks like as we walk into Genesis 3, what Genesis 3 is about and um, how um, you, you you see that, that infection of sin beginning to grow from there? Yeah, you know, obviously Genesis 3 is a, a, from a foundational kind of standpoint in the Christian faith. It, it's a story that we, we have to know. I mean, it's the origin story of why we experience the brokenness all around us, right? I mean, it's the answer to why relationships uh, are have so much trouble, why we have trouble, you know, culturally. It is it is the reason why we have all those things. And so um, as, as you think about the story, in, in obviously Genesis 1 through 3, there's a lot there that uh, is underneath all of those texts. Um, Genesis 3 is this really tragic picture of um humanity's kind of early beginning days and what we what we ultimately see kind of what we understand is that um there is a, a serpent who's there existing in Genesis 3 who approaches Adam and Eve who who are you know the the pinnacle of creation um this is what we we pick up in in Genesis 1 and 2 and and really the serpent's goal who we kind of later find out as we get into the biblical narrative is is Satan is God's um, enemy. Uh, his, his goal is to create confusion. It's to create um, lies. When he has his interaction with Eve, um, he, you know, he he kind of in that dialogue with Eve, he doesn't come out as this ugly creature. He just simply says, "Did God really say?" Um, if, if he if he appeared to Eve and Adam as this really grotesque. Um, thing that was seeking to deceive them, they or deceive them, they wouldn't have, you know. Th- there's a high, right, there's a high likelihood they would have been like, no, get away. But but it was kind of this really nuanced dialogue that he got into them, and he and he basically said to them, hey, um, did God really say? And, and Eve, even misquoting scripture, says, well, no, God said we can't touch this tree or eat from this tree, which is not what God said. Um, and, and that's kind of where he worked it in. He wanted to create a type of doubt in their minds and the, the direction that he came at them, he, he basically what he, and this is what sin is, right? Sin is the belief that God is holding something back from us. So when we, when we act on sin, um, it's a belief that God can't be trusted, right? That's why we lie. That's why we steal. Um, that's when we go after this particular pleasure. It's a belief that what God has said is right, true, and good, and beautiful isn't right, true, beautiful, and good, and true, be- uh, good, and beautiful. Right? It's a we're we believe he can't be trusted, and so this is what he does. He he's it's a misinformation campaign, you know, in a lot of ways to say, hey, God doesn't want you to be like him. Um, and and the the thing that's so tragic about that is, you know, Adam and Eve were, were ultimately called to practice authority 
over creation, practice authority over the beast, right? Right. right. Plan. And and now we have a situation where in a lot of ways the, the beast is practicing authority over Adam and Eve. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. Good point. It created now chaos, right? Because the order uh which is humanity practicing dominion over the beast, over the plants, um, cultivating the ground that God has now given them. Uh, instead of that going on, you have this beast, which is the serpent, now practicing in a way authority over Adam and Eve. It's twisted everything. Oh, I muted you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we've got we've got Eve, and for the record, Eve catches the brunt of all of our of our judgment here, right? Where's Adam? Well, he's there. We 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 know he's in the uh we know he's in the the story. We know he's 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 present. I mean, we we see it uh in Genesis 3. Um the one of the the main ways that that we know he's there is because in uh 3:17 the consequences are 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 like God says, "Hey, here are your consequences for your lack of leadership, for your lack of of um of stopping this." Uh, here, here are the consequences that you're now going to experience, right? The ground's going to work against you. The thorns and the thistle um, are going to work against you. You're going to eat the bread by the sweat of your brow. Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, God didn't say to Adam, hey, you didn't really know what was going on. Uh, you're all good. You know, he, he's saying, no, you, uh, you didn't practice. Um, you didn't practice authority here. You didn't, you didn't stop this situation and 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 obviously we get the he gets the consequences in the same way the serpent gets the consequences the same way Eve gets the consequences uh, he he's right in there together with it and um, and I think that's one of the most important questions that we have to ask is where is Adam right yeah he was there but not there right and I, I mean as as husbands and fathers I think there's a huge lesson for us to all learn he was he was physically present but not not engaged. Um, and as a result of his lack of engagement, there was there was nobody there was nobody protecting his wife. Uh, there there was nobody creating accountability, right? And and so he's just completely checked out. And hey, whatever you know, whether whether he was just looking around and going, it seems like a great idea, or he's just over there checking his phone and Instagram. I don't know exactly what what Adam's doing in that place, but we we do know that he's not living up to his creation mandate. Um, you know, of of being that suitable helpmate for Eve in that place, um, and certainly not being the, the 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 leader in that place, not that guy that's forsaken all to be with her. Instead, you know, he's allowing somebody else to come in and and to plant these seeds of doubt and corruption. Still, it which is still man's problem, right? We 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 still the our our problem as dads as husbands um, is we disengage we allow our responsibility to be taken on by someone else. And so it's not as if we can look at Adam as men, right? Or I can't, I'm not going to read this story about Adam and go, man, I can't believe you didn't, uh, you didn't engage. I mean, this is the, this is man's problem still is we're, we're, we're giving our responsibility away to others and not embracing that. So it's, it's, it's problematic. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, this is a picture of really what we still deal with even now. So the podcast that that will be released or that, that was was released right before this one will be released. I just interviewed Nancy Piercy about her latest book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, mm-hmm. and uh, she and I. So that was just it was actually just yesterday that uh, that I recorded that with her, 
And she and I talked about how with the view, for instance, of evolutionary psychology. So you said your wife teaches psychology, the view of, of, of evolutionary psychology that basically views whether you're Darwinian naturalism or evolutionary psychologist at this point in time, you view um, men in particular right now as this collection of evolutionary processes and that that a man is ultimately just sort of bound by these evolutionary ideals. And what we've done is we've created this secular excuse for men to say the same, to, to have the same argument and excuse that all the way back in the garden. God, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. Like the woman you gave me, the the circumstances you put me in, that's why I did what I did. And, and that's, that's, it's just incredible that, that in addition to, to we as men continuing to wrestle with that sinful tendency that we're seeing the secular world work diligently to give men even more opportunities to build that excuse in to blame our creator for um uh for our, for our faults yeah yeah i mean as as if we needed any more excuses i mean it's it's yeah it's wired in us right that's a part of the brokenness that we experience so it's a you know i'll have to go listen because toxic masculinity you know it's it's um it's a real thing. And we've kind of got faux masculinity, which is like, Hey, this is what masculinity is. We've got, uh, in, in our city in particular, I mean, uh, there's a type, you know, it's a confusing thing, uh, from a, in our kind of cultural moment to be a man. And what does that actually look like to, to practice leadership, this healthy leadership, that's not domineering. That's not, um, yeah, yeah. It's anyway. So we're, we, we're seeing this, early signs, Genesis three, Adam, Adam doing the similar stuff. So you've got Adam and Eve, like engage, disengage rather, or, or engage in the wrong place. Um, there in your sermon, you just talked about how, how Satan really just tries to take our, um, he desires to take our, our, our sort of, and, and uh, for the theology police here, I'm using air quotes, our, our little sins, um, but our, our, our little sins and lead us to places we never could have anticipated. And, and you know that that's a biblical concept. I mean, James warns us that sort of sin full grown leads to something completely different. So, you know, it, it's not as though Satan tempts Eve with, "Hey, why don't you completely turn away from God and completely destroy everything?" Right? It's did, did God really did God really say those things? Um, in in our culture today, yeah. You know, how how do you see uh, Satan sort of? taking the little distractions and and the little things to to drive us away from the things of the lord yeah well i and i think it's important to say that you know sin never can never fulfill on the promises that it makes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like like it first of all he he says you know do you want to be like god well sin is in in so many ways it's it's promising a lot of what we already have in jesus right that's, so, so yeah, that's that's really good. So sin will sin will say, "Hey, if you want satisfaction, do this. If you want um, identity, if you want to feel pleasure, if you want to feel worth, if you want to like sin will will say, if you want this, then therefore do this." When the reality is, in relationship with Jesus, we already have these things, right? We're we're going after a type of faux satisfaction, a type of you know, um, a faux kind of accomplishments. So sin is, is, and this is what, this is what the serpent's doing in Genesis three. He's promising something to Adam and Eve that they already actually have, right? They've already been made in the image of God. 
Um, and and they, they don't even see it, right? I mean, she could have just rightfully said, Adam could have rightfully said, hey, we we we're actually the pinnacle of creation. Like we we are we're made in the image of God, right? Yeah, Satan, you should be you're jealous of what we have. <laughs> right. You're a you're a beast, right? You are a um I, I think that the you know yes. And so um so sin can't fulfill on those promises. Uh, it, it just, it isn't created to fulfill on what it says that it's created to fulfill on. And so, you know, they thought they were going to get the, the promise for them was if you eat this fruit, if you disobey God, you will experience enlightenment, divine enlightenment, the divine fulfillment. And what they got instead was alienation, isolation, shame, and guilt. Right. And so they were alienated and isolated from one another because it says then they knew they were not clothed. Right. So this is kind of the introduction of shame and guilt. And then they got alienation and alienation island uh, isolation from God himself. Right. Because then it says he's walking in the garden. And instead of and I think this is one of the the, the parts of the Genesis three story that for me is the most impactful and the most tragic is that. Um, it says that God showed up in the cool of the day, right? This is this is what this, this scripture tells us. And that when they ser- heard God walking, they hid. And so what, what we can assume is that there, were, there was a regular practice of Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden. So, Craig, think about that. You, they just went from walking with their creator in the garden, um, it, observing all that he has made to give them practice dominion over, from that to now hiding hmm. from him. Hmm. It's one of the most tragic things in the world to go from walking with your 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 father, the guy who the creator who loves you deeply, to now hiding from them. So sin doesn't ever produce what it promises. It, it can't, right? And it didn't for Adam and Eve, and it doesn't for us. And um and and that's just the it it doesn't it doesn't change. Sin can you know, it's always based on a lie and it, it can look different, but it, at the basis is always, you can't trust God. And, and this, this, the, the existence of shame and guilt actually becomes one of the greatest really apologies or, or, or defenses for the existence of sin. Right. I mean, um, we, we can know, we can like, cause our, our, our culture can work or doesn't not can does work really diligently to convince us that there's no such thing as objective truth and objective right and wrong morality that you know everything is is very much situational or personal and so in that place if that were true then something like shame should be nothing but a social construct right uh, i should be able to overcome it but we we know that sin is real, and we know that there is some kind of objective morality that exists, because everybody on planet Earth has some understanding of what shame and guilt is. Right? right. Some people work diligently to sort of harden their their heart and their conscience against much of that, but everybody has some idea of the the the, the shame and the guilt, and then the feeling of isolation that comes as a result of those things. Yeah, I mean it's it's why it's why naturalism breaks down. Um, it, it's why some of the what we would consider more secular kind of worldviews don't actually work because if you if you really get under them, you, you have to say, uh, 
where does this come from? Like, why, where does morality come from? I mean, this is, this is C.S. Lewis, right? This is, I mean, th- right. this is, where does morality come from? If, if, if we're simply a, a collision of, of molecules and atoms, then, then, then it doesn't work. You know, it, it breaks down. And so, yeah, we, we see this with Adam and Eve. They immediately recognize something is broken. Something is wrong. And the way that we know that is based on their actions and their actions say they hide. Yep. And, and, and the lie, you know, Satan says, if you want to be like God, then don't trust him. That, that yeah. was, I think that was a direct, a direct Brian Owen quote. So there you go. If you don't remember saying it, there, it was, I thought, man, I, this, this so, it's so incredibly stupid sounding when you say it out loud. But for those of us that know what it's like to fall into a pattern of sin, we also know how, you know, we strive to, to accomplish something. And yet, we fall then fall prey to believe that if I want to get where that person is and I, or, or, or where that God is, then I shouldn't trust what He says because He's He's trying to hide something from me because that's ultimately what God's trying to God's God's not telling me the whole truth and if He told me the whole truth, then I would know there was something else out there. So I've got to skirt around His rules to, to help me to experience the fullness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We and that's that's the constant that that's why Satan's primary weapon is lies it's a it's a misinformation campaign right i mean this is that this is how he he gets us he he gets us by planting um lies right this is why this is why um jesus said right his native language is lying mm. right you're you're like this is when he speaks he speaks lies mm. and, and the lie at the, the the core of the lie is god can't be trusted and so you you need to you you I humanity we need to take things into our own hands and you you would think after a while we would recognize that because we can kind of see what happens when we take things into our own hands uh, but but we don't um, and we we still choose to we still choose to do that so obviously spiritual maturity a part of that process is recognizing as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we grow in, in our understanding of the word and in prayer and in community with one another, we more and more kind of shed the, the lie that you can't be trusted. And we, we don't act on, um, we don't act on our natural impulses because we have begin, we've begun to learn, no, God can be trusted. And uh, although I feel this way, um, Although I, I, although my peers are doing this at work to hedge their numbers, although my uh, sexually, I feel a certain type of proclivity towards this particular thing. What, what spiritual maturity is, it says, I'm going to entrust myself to God. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to participate in these things because I trust him. Before we get to spiritual maturity. And I, I want to get there in just a second. Before we do, let's just let's just chase this rabbit just a minute. So, in in this state of fallenness in which we live, and as we can look at American culture, we'll just talk about American culture, um, Boston culture, Camden culture, wherever culture we're talking American culture. As as American culture moves further away from its Judeo Christian roots, right, and and from some at least shared idea of of common morality e- right. even if even if that 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 idea was never 
never as Christian as we might like to believe it was. There was still an idea of, of, of shared common morality that 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 we we continue to push away from this idea of uh, meta narrative, right? This this idea of of a, of a God who exists and has created all things, has created us with purpose yeah. and, and 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 story and with an end in mind. The further we we move away from that, then I, I, the greater the void that we experience of that alienation from from God. Like we we begin to to experience it and feel it uh, a little bit more culturally, and and as a result of all of those holes, there's this sort of longing to fill these broken relationships basically with anything, like to fill that hole with anything. And if it's if it's a broken relationship, it's still something because I long for that intimacy that was lost at the fall. And so as we're seeing like a, a rise in uh, currently, at least in our culture, we're seeing just a rise in all sorts of different sexual proclivities. We're seeing um, a, a rise in just just things that that really are just mind boggling at times, this desire for community in any place that it can be found. How, how much of that is just the reality that we are broken and lonely and, and we are separated from God and from, from real deep relationships. And we're just trying, we're throwing anything at the wall and figuring out what'll stick. Yeah. I mean, um, sorry, I didn't prep you for that question. Well, but just, no, no, uh, I think the good, so, I mean, a couple of things, the good news in, in this, I, the good news in all of this is the church historically has flourished in cultural moments where it's the minority. And so the the good news, you know, because we we can look at it. I mean, you know, Boston is a very post-Christian, you know, culture. Uh, it's you know, modernity, post-modern. I mean, it's it's a very difficult environment um, that that we're in. Um, the thing that gives me encouragement uh, in that is when I when I read the scriptures, when I look at the early church both in acts and both just historically we're, we're going to be all right. Like we, we, we have a God in heaven who's in control and that doesn't mean that we don't um, advocate for certain policies. It doesn't mean that we don't um, do, do the things that, that God calls us to do to help our cities and our towns and our country. Uh, it just means we're going to be all right. Like the, the the church tends to flourish in those environments, and I I think what is it? Um, gosh, was it Augustine who said? Oh, who basically said if if you replace essentially if you replace this divine part in you, you have to re, you're gonna you have to replace it with something else, like this kind of you, that that all of us have this desire. Uh, to give ourselves over to something, and if we, we, we create his work, I mean, to some degree, Calvin kind of owns that with the the whole idea that your heart is an idol factory. Like we were created as beings for worship. Yeah, I'm not. Let me let me yeah, just yeah. show you while you're talking. So this is no, no. Uh, this is this is my copy of Augustine's Confessions that was uh, that got leaked on last week. So you can you can just <laughs> lament with me that it is it it. It's twenty years old, and and everything is just destroyed. Destro I'm, I'm destroyed. I'm distraught over this. So you bring up Augustine, you make me really sad right I now. I keep everything. I have digital books, so I don't even. They're not going to get wet. You, you have virtual I mean? books, yeah. But you know what? Though power goes out, you're done. So you hear me? You're done. The, the uh, and and you can't so, share that with me. But if you come to my office, 
If you come to my office, I'll gladly loan this to you. All right. But so, so, I'm so, we're talking past each other. But like, like we were certainly we were created to worship. Right. And that's right. That's who we are. And, and not just were we. I, one of my um, uh, one of my favorite, actually, one of the more seminal uh, books in all of my my Christian journey. Um, especially over the last 20 years is, is a book called, by GK Beale called we become what we worship. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Tim Keller wrote counterfeit gods, counterfeit gods is really just sort of a distillation of, of Beale's ideas, right. um, that, uh, so it's a biblical theology that traces the scripture that, you know, worship so consumes who we are that it shapes us and it molds us. And, you know, so we are, we are beings that desire to worship. Right. And right now, when we worship the self, we're just becoming more beastly. Right. We're, we're becoming more creaturely. We are created things. And as long as, as as Paul talks about in Romans one, as long as we worship and serve created things rather than the creator, then we just look less and less like our creator and more and more like uh, a, a shadow of those those sinfully um, just not destroyed, but sinfully scarred, created images. Right. And, and increasingly, we, we're just a shadow of what we once were. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what follows Genesis three? Cain and Abel. Genesis four. Oh, gotcha. I mean, okay. I mean it. So it's it's yes, it goes from from the garden to they're cast out into the wilderness, right? And, and we can get to that. That there's obviously there's a gospel proclamation there. We're going to come back to that in a minute. So yeah, three. Um, but the the next you know story that we get, the kind of pivotal story that we get is. Cain and Abel, and we see in that moment, Cain, you said it perfectly, we see in that moment Cain responding beastly, right? And, and that it's it was it's kind of this weird turn from Adam and Eve called to practice domain over the beast and over the plants and over the land to now this situation with that uh, uh, with Cain and Abel, and Cain's actually acting beastly and obviously kills his brother. Um, and, and this is what we see the, the biblical narrative begin to play out. All right. So, um, like we, we're talking about a lot of bad news right here. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Genesis three, it, dark, darkest, is it the darkest chapter in the Bible? Probably, probably. Um, if not the, certainly one, I mean, it's, it's just such all hope is lost initially in Genesis three, but there's still this gospel proclamation that comes, mm-hmm. um, what what is that that proto evangelion as they say in the theological circles? What is that gospel proclamation that we see? Yeah, well, I think we see it in two ways. I think, and I would say, kind of directly and indirectly. So we directly see it um, in in embedded in Genesis three, where God says to Eve, right? This is three fifteen, right? Where He says, "I'm going to put hostility." Or, or talking to the serpent, he says, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman, uh, between uh, your offspring and her offspring. And then the the bottom part there of 315 is he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So we we know when God is 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 doling out these consequences here, he says to the serpent, there is one coming who's an offspring of a woman who is going to destroy you. And you, you will you'll strike his head, um, and and obviously going to have an effect. Or no, he he will strike your head. He will destroy you, and you'll strike his heel. Right. 
So it's not a, it's not a, is in a sense, not as if the one who is coming will not be affected or, or hit, but the, the, the final blow will come to the serpent. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have this really direct kind of proclamation of the gospel um, in this kind of, you know, we can read the Genesis story with hope because we see 315. Uh, we, we know that it's talking about Jesus here, right? This offspring of a woman, but then in, so, so that's direct. So then indirectly in this one verse, right? So if Genesis three, verse 20, starting verse 20, right? It says he, he names the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And then verse 21, this one verse here, it says the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. Okay, so Genesis 3, this is what's happening. They're going to be kicked out of the wilderness uh, or out of the garden into the wilderness. I've never been to the – I've been to the wilderness, right? But but in Not this that sense – that wilderness, yeah. No, no. In this sense, what, is it, what are they moving from? They're moving from the Garden of Eden, which is uh, a form and function place, into an uncultivated wilderness, right? Into a, um, a, a diff- – they're going to a different place. And so we we know from the Genesis story that when Adam and Eve, uh, when they realized they had no clothing, Genesis tells us that they made fig leaves. It's like the very now, first episode of Naked and Afraid. That's right. Have you? I've never worn fig leaves. I don't. I. I. They don't seem like a reasonable type of clothing. So so here's what happens in their kind of shame and guilt. They make fig leaves to cover. So see all this, right? They make this to cover their shame and guilt. They've created a temporary um, covering, uh, a less than covering, to to cover themselves. God and, in His kindness. Oh, hold on, God. I was going to interrupt you. I, I think that it's it's important for us to think. Um, when I do when I do premarriage counseling, we we go to this passage of scripture because the goal of intimacy in marriage is that we reach a place where we we can be back to that pre fall right. place where. Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed, right? Uh, but I, I just think it's 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 helpful if we go go through the exercise of thinking about why were they ashamed? We go up, oh, they sinned, so they were ashamed. What, why? Like what what does that mean? Like for the first time, they looked at their own bodies and were ashamed. What were they ashamed of? Maybe they had physical shame. Perhaps they they were ashamed because they knew they had sinned and they didn't want to be found out. But the the other part of it, and this is to, to me, this always just just felt more sinister in it. They were ashamed and fearful of their partner. Why? Because they knew what they were thinking about their partner. And they assumed that if they're they were having those thoughts, that their partner was having the same kind of thoughts, you know? Like Adam is looking at Eve and judging her. And so he's afraid at that place because it's like, oh my goodness, if she's thinking about me the way I'm thinking about her, then where in the world are we? Just, you know, just think about you go from this perfect relationship. You've walked in the garden, you know, all these things. You, you're just, you, 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 boom, everything's great. And then the next thing you know, you're looking at this person and you're covering up and you're hiding and you're running. And, and, you know, I can't help but wonder if, if they're they're running from God, something like that happened before before their experience with the Lord, where they're kind of hiding behind things from one another, going, "Don't look at me! Don't look at me! No, I'm 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 dirty! You know, I'm I'm unclean." It's just heartbreaking to consider. Yeah, they they scramble, 
right yeah. in this moment they they're the, because of what's happening in their interior world they are are now in a place of going i've got to do something like i i'm this is this is a problem that and, i'm and it's I'm, just exposed right they're, and, they're thinking i'm now i'm exposed but it's it's an exposure without the security that they felt before the fall yeah right right like now there's insecurity there's no safe place yeah now there's in, now there's insecurity yeah um now there's a, a type of humiliation that is existing there and and their pro, their their solution to that problem is to make is to take fig leaves and and put them on that's their solution yeah and how funny is this to think about like i mean we we assume they kind of sewed them together, but for all we know, they just got like a branch and they're just holding it strategically. Right. You know, it's like a, like some some kind of low low budget film where they're just holding these things up. You know, don't and look. It, no. it, and it's like, it, it, but isn't this what we do? Like we mess up. I mean, not me, but you might. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> when we mess up, we try and take some temporary solution, and um. And and this is what we do. We 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 do the similar thing. And instead of and because here's what we're gonna see, right? So in Genesis 3, 21, uh God in his kindness steps in and he says, so got, hold on, they've got they've got the future salvation coming in yeah. the child of Eve who will crush this serpent. Correct. But God's not satisfied even to say, just wait and you'll get something, right? He, right. Right. Yep. yep. He's not. He's not just going to, you know, proclaim these things and then kick them out of the garden. Uh, we see in twenty one, uh, God makes clothing. Now we don't. We we have no reason to believe that Adam and Eve had experienced death before before this place. And if you're going to make, so you hunt, right? You, you're a hunter. We don't hunt. I, I don't hunt here really. We have no. turkey everywhere, but we're not. We're not judging your masculinity right now. But and by we, I mean so, me. But so. Um, we have turkeys on the street. They just walk around. They do whatever they want. So, um, is this is like a euphemism or no, no? So, in order to clothe them, he has to kill Patriots fans. <laughs> I get you. So, uh, you got to kill something. I I think in that moment, I think this is the first time that Adam and Eve experienced death. And I think that sometimes in our imagery of this moment, and you and I were talking a little bit offline before, I think our imagery of this moment is, you know, you walk into a clothing store, you grab something, you you throw it on, right? Or you, you get a package in the mail and you throw your clothing on. That is not what happened in this situation. Um, I, I think in this moment, I think Ab and Eve watched the Lord kill an animal. I think they heard it. I think they smelled it. I think they, uh, I think it was a very uh, um, intentional moment where Adam and Eve are now seeing the result of their distrust of God. They're seeing the result of their sin by watching this animal be slain in front of them. I think it's a, if you've ever been in kind of that moment, right? I grew up, my buddy had chicken coop, right? It, it, you know, you, would watch them kill the chickens and like, it's a very strong experience and it's not something that you forget. So I think Adam and Eve seeing what their sin has now done. Uh, I think that imagery is going to be carried with them, but, 
but it in but it doesn't doesn't just end there, right? God does what He says. I'm actually through the the slaying of this animal, through the shedding of blood, which we know is a biblical thing, right? We know they made covenants by splitting the animal, right? You make a covenant, you walk through the you walk through this. That's how God um, committed Himself to uh, to the the Israelites and to the people. Um, God said, "I'm going to actually provide a bear of clothing." Like you're gonna you're gonna see the result of your sin, but in my kindness and goodness, I'm gonna replace the fig leaves with something better, far better, uh, and it's gonna be these animal clothing. So it's a, it's a it is a nod to right gospel. It is a nod to the Father is now going to through the the sacrifice of another provide a better covering for our sin. Yeah, and that that's. The thing that really jumped out at me when you shared this passage of scripture, even though I do hunt and and you know I clean animals and all those other things and 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 know full well right. the the experience that you're talking about, I, I've honestly always had a very sanitized view of this passage of scripture, and I don't know why, but I've always had a very sanitized view and. Even in preparation for this conversation with you today, I was just thumbing through a study Bible uh, that I've got laid open on my desk right now. And and um, in, in the note on this study Bible, it, it says something along the lines of, you know, God killed an animal to clothe. Um, I'm trying to see exactly what it says. Um, it, it says he killed an animal is what it says somewhere. Um, but um what's what's a little bit wild to consider the death of an animal an animal i i i don't it potentially if it was like you know a wildebeest <laughs> right but if right. it's a goat and you know and 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 adam and eve needed pants and a right. shirt or they need you know like obviously no pants tunic whatever the, you know robe whatever it was but like like if it's a goat he might have killed three or four yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's just no, no, we, we don't know. We, we have no idea. And of course, these animals um, were, were animals that, that Adam and Eve knew. God That's had brought true. these animals to Adam to name them. You know, it's, it's possible that in the process of this cultivated garden in which Adam and Eve lived, that they've, they've actually cultivated the raising of these animals, right? Right. Um, I mean, if we we get really crazy, you know, C.S. Lewis believes it's possible that the, that the animals and, and humans actually talked. Um, I'm not sure I'm in the place where C.S. Lewis was, but uh, um, uh, he has imagination, though. You know what he, I mean? An excellent imagination. I mean, Tolkien believed that maybe trees and humans communicate at one point in time, or something not quite that strange. But I mean, it's wild. But um, but regardless, like, let's just we don't we don't have to get to a place where I imagine that they they talked. I just have to get to a place where I imagine that they had a relationship with these animals like I have with my dog. Right. right? And I've got the world's greatest dog. I don't I don't know if you know this. Um he he is he is unbelievable. Um except for two nights ago he rolled in something somewhere and I almost died. Like the smell. Uh, I had to wash him at 10 o'clock and it was awful. Awful. Oh man, I, I he came in and from across the room I was like what died, you know. But he, he is still, in spite of that, he's still the world's greatest dog, period. And uh, um, I mean, so I, I don't have to think about a, 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 an animal that talks to me. I just have to think about this animal that I know. Yep. Right. And that the Lord says, man, you, you've you messed up. And I 
am going because because they didn't just need these clothes to keep them from feeling ashamed. They were going into the wilderness. Yeah. Yes, Suddenly correct. there were briars and there were thorns and thistles. Correct. Right. They needed to be protected in this world, protected from their the, the results of their own sin. Yeah. And fig leaves can't do that, but but strong leather can, you know. Um, so, but the fact that they, they have to experience the debt, they, 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 they understand, like they already get it that I'm separated from God and the people I love, but then to, to appreciate the gravity of their sin by looking at the, the necessary sacrifice to make a way, I mean, just, just difficult to stomach. Yeah. It levels it up. Right. Because it, it moves from just simply saying, oh, I'm, I'm feeling insecure with my spouse to, Oh, God just killed something. God just stepped in and killed something. And I, I think that as we grow in our relationship with God, I think that as we look back on our journey of faith, I think that that it's a good thing mm. for us to look back and go, man, look what it's cost. Mm. You know, look look at look at the destruction that my sin has brought mm. in, in relational conflict in kind of inner turmoil that I feel. And then look ultimately what it, what it cost God, right. Which was Jesus. I mean, we, it, it's a good thing for us to look back and go, I, my sin did that. Like there's a type of responsibility that's really healthy um, that I, that I think Adam and Eve, you know, coming out of this story, they, they carried that picture of going, man, look what it, look what it cost. Hmm. It's yeah. sobering, right? It should create, it should create a, a type of soberingness in them, in us to go. This is, this is ultimately what it does. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, all this points toward Jesus 100%, who, yep. who, who public, who publicly died for our sin, you know, um, not not just looking to sacrifice of an animal, but the sacrifice of the Son of God, who who is pointed that 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 of course is pointed to right there in Genesis three. So we've got the the proclamation of it, and then sort of the vi- visible type um, um, that that of course of which Jesus will be that antitype. Uh, that 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 uh, I should use better language. We have the visible symbol uh, of yeah. which Jesus will be that that ultimate fulfillment in in New Testament and. Um, so I um and that that that's that's really what I want want to, to hear from you today, right? Just a reminder that that we we need to read the scripture. Um, we need to we need to jump into it when we read it. You know, we we can't always get the Disney version, the G-rated version of scripture. You know, our sin really is a big big deal, and you know, when Jesus died, it was it was grotesque and horrendous and awful and. And even through the sacrificial system uh, that, that we're going to see come into the Old Testament in in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you know, as, as God is really telling them what's expected of them in these places, that that there's just this regular reminder that the shedding of blood was necessary for the forgiveness of sins because sin is so heinous and such an incredible crime. So, um, you know, and, and that was just a, 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 a an aspect of the Genesis three account that you brought to life for me that I just had never considered. And I, I really wanted to, to, the opportunity for you to to share that with the folks that will listen to this, because I think it's just so powerful for us to remember um, that um, that our, our sin is costly. Yeah, it, it's a real story. 
the the whole bible it's, it's a, real, a real yeah it's a real yeah, story it's a real yeah. story yeah. and it's it's messy and it's involves humans and it involves sin and and it's not you know i enjoy all of the things that we have in life uh, but sometimes the 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 sterileness of our life uh, very much influences how we read the bible and so we've <laughs> got to we've got to try and read it the way that, that they would have read it and the way that god wants us to understand it yeah, and 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 look, lest we leave everybody grieving over their sin, like it's a real story in the good things too. That's right. Right when when he says that he will drink of this cup anew with us in the new kingdom, like when when he talks about the the the, the wedding feast, the marriage feast of the lamb, like these are real things. There's going to be a real celebration. There's real celebration when if the Bible says that there's celebration in heaven. When a sinner is saved, then I believe that. Like, there's real celebration. There's a real God who loves us that much and desires. You know, why would He go to these hor- these horrible steps, these horribly expensive steps? Why? Because He actually loves us that much and desires for that relationship to be restored, in spite of our own hard-headed proclivity towards sin. Yeah, think about the the greatest party, right? The greatest wedding feast you can ever imagine. That's where we're going. I mean, that's, that's what it's going to, that's what it's going to look like. And I, you know, unless there's family drama, most wedding feasts we <laughs> go to are, are pretty But there won't be. I mean, there won't be, right? That's I mean, because I'm it, I'm he'll be all in all. When I go to a wedding feast, uh, unless there's some kind of present drama there, it, they're just fun, right? And this right. is the imagery that we get. I've never seen, in all the weddings I've ever done, I've never seen an ugly bride, right? And and that's who we are. We're, we're coming uh, we're coming as a bride. So yeah, it's going to be a beautiful thing. So I, I, you know, I, my favorite thing when I do a wedding, uh, everybody loves to look at the bride. Of course, they're always beautiful. I, they just, they just, just, they, they've worked so diligently. And it's, it's, it's not, it's, they just glow, right? The, the joy just seems to bleed out. Um, but, uh, I, 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 I don't look at the bride. I, I usually get a view of the bride, before right. the ceremony, I go in, I get to pray with her and speak to her and give her words of encouragement. So, I, uh, you know, and uh, for me, I, I stand and I intentionally when we wait for the if we're indoors, and you're waiting for the doors to open yeah. for her to appear. And uh, I'm staring at the groom the yeah. whole time, because like when that bride appears, the the joy that just explodes on the face of that groom and you can't put it into words. You can't put it into words. And and if I can consider that my God could love me with a love that is even greater than I see on those wedding days, man, what more could I hope to live for? You know, what more could I hope to live for? It's the, it's for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Yeah. Something else. Brian, I appreciate you being willing to do this. Uh, I've I've looked forward to it since you and I talked about it a couple months back. So, um, and I'm I'm thankful that uh, that you and I could share this conversation and that you could share this insight with the folks that uh, that will get to listen to it. So, um, you guys take the time to uh, check out um, the I just completely forgot the name of your church, Grace Grace City Church, right? Grace City Church website. What's the the web address there, Brian? Uh, it's GraceCityBoston.com. And listen, if you're in Boston. Come on up. We've got kombucha on on tap. Oh. And get you a vine, kind of flat oh. white. You know why? Like why, why would so- any? I don't understand why anybody drinks kombucha. 
we can we can man i can just it's some great some great no, stuff there. it's it's not it's like <laughs> like we we're we're all the way back to the fall we just ran back to genesis 3 because kombucha is not sanctified it has never been it has never been clothed in grace. It is it is the cesspool of sin, and people good s- vegan, good vegan burger here. We can get you, man. We could just we'll hook it up. I, I, you know, I was in Boston a while back, and and I didn't have a vegan burger. I I, I had a smash burger or Shake Shack or something, and it was. I mean, I, really, I mean, that's yeah, that's that's where it's at. But I don't it's have to go to Boston house. to get that. You know what? what? Huh? It's our Waffle House. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Smash fries. I mean, those those will be at the wedding feast of the lamb. I'm confident. Uh, I just yeah. know it. All right. Anyway, um, so uh, and and all kidding aside, let's just say that out of the blue, there's somebody listening to this and they just have a heart for Boston. They could go to your website and get in touch with you and figure out how they might be able to to serve there. Yep, absolutely. Everything is online. GraceCityBoston.com. My email is there. Would love to if, if you if you're here, or you know someone. Would love to get them connected. That's why we're okay. here. And if you guys are listening to this, hey, y'all pray for Boston. Uh, it's, it's a place that desperately needs the gospel. Y'all pray for for Brian and others like him, his family who are serving there in, in, a, in, a, in a city that is spiritually dark and desperate need of gospel influence. So, uh, Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Very appreciate you. Yep. Thank you guys for tuning in. Y'all have a great week. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.